0: Well, so good to see you all this evening. I also want to tell you that at the end of my talk, uh, we're going to have another brief window for you to kind of reflect back. So, if there's a question left unanswered in the passage that we're going to be exploring tonight, there's about 20 sermons that could be preached out of it. I'm going to attempt to do one of those, I just can't do everything always. So if you have a question that's unanswered, if you have a comment that's on your heart to share with our community, if there is some invitation you're invited to share uh, that we can hear as a community, if there is some word or phrase that you just wanted to raise your hand and say, stop and let's look at this again, I just want to highlight this, we want to give you just a moment for one to two to three of you to share uh, later on in my talk. So we're going to be just trying that because one of our convictions as an Anabaptist-flavored church is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just inhabit the person with the microphone. The Holy Spirit inhabits each person that is in Jesus Christ. And so the way that we want to see that lived out in our multi-voiced worship is not just in the people that are doing announcements and benedictions and leading prayers and preaching and singing, but also in the way that we believe that the Bible is best discerned with the Holy Spirit in community. Let me say that again. The Bible is best discerned in community that's with the Holy Spirit. So we want to give you a minute there. So right up on that. Uh, You'll find some questions for reflection that you can talk about in your groups this week, that you can journal during communion time. We're going to just offer those to you tonight. So this is a series called Come and See. We're in the second week. It's a short little three-part series in which something that's just kind of been rattling around in my heart, I've felt led to share with you these three weeks. And in this series, just as we saw last week and just how, Lord willing, we'll see tonight, we'll see followers of Jesus inviting seekers and skeptics into a transformational encounter with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, seekers are those people that are leaning in, that have some insinuation about who God is, who Jesus is. And then the skeptics are those that say, I'm not sure, but they're leaning in as well. They're those people that you're in relationship with that just keep asking you questions. They don't believe, but for some reason they still like to talk about it with you. Maybe you're some kind of curiosity to them, and they can't understand why you believe, but I'm telling you that seekers and skeptics, what they have in common is they're both leaning in. They're both leaning in, kicking the tires on Jesus, so this series, we're looking at stories in which followers say to those leaning in, hey, come a little closer and see for yourself. Because each one of you that's here that is following Jesus are following Jesus because you had some encounter in which you cannot deny who he is, what he's done, and what he's said it may be dramatic, it may have been subtle, but there is some moment in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've crossed over from death to life and you have had an encounter with Jesus because nobody can have it for you. This is what we're looking at in this series. So I hope you got a handout. We're gonna be in Acts 8 in just a moment. Acts 8 is this incredible story of two men who were separated in so many ways, yet brought together by the Holy Spirit of God. But before we get to that story, I want to tell you a story that a person you should be very familiar with in this church named N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, Nicholas Thomas Wright. We've read his devotional books the last three years during Lent. We've done classes on some of his other books. He's a profound, probably the leading New Testament scholar, but also just an awesome guy, and I should know because I met him last year. And if you ask him, he will have no idea who I am, but that doesn't matter because he is awesome. And in reflecting on this passage we're about to look at, he shares this story in which he was invited to go from where he was Uh, being a professor at one point, to Cambridge, the University of Cambridge, to do a lectureship series. And so he does what he always does. He travels around and he talks about Jesus in the New Testament in these scholarly settings. So he arrives at Cambridge University. He sets down to work on the lectures that he's going to give the following morning, and he just can't get this impulse, this invitation, out of his head. And as he's setting down to write, he shares the story of how he just could not shake this invitation to go to Evensong at King's College. Evensong is the evening time prayerful, song led worship service. In the Church of England, that closes the day, and at King's College, I actually had the opportunity to go where N.T. Wright was being invited to go. And you go into this chapel, and this world-famous boys and Men's choir gathers together on either side of the cathedral, and they sing this haunting and beautiful and reflective worship service with their voices just bouncing back and forth off of each other to close the day as the sun sets. and it's this powerful and beautiful way even song, like evening song, he was invited to go and he could not shake this invitation. But he does what we often do, and we say, I've got so much work to do, I can't, I've got to set to work because tomorrow I've got all these important things, but yet he couldn't shake this invitation. Go to Evensong at King's College. So finally he put down what he was working on, he got up and he went to the chapel just as the service was filling up with all kinds of tourists, just like myself in 2004, ready to experience this worship service. So he finds one seat, in this cathedral, And he goes and he sits down, and he's settling in, and just before the music starts, he looks up to see that his neighbor is none other than his longtime friend and colleague from Dallas, Texas, no less, a New Testament scholar at SMU, who is a long way from Dallas, to connect with N.T. Wright, who was not where he was living at the time, was not at his university, who happened to be at this even song because perhaps it wasn't coincidence after all. And just to make the point even further, right before the music starts, as they realize that they're sitting next to these old friends reconnecting, the New Testament scholar from Dallas pulls out this tiny little journal and shows him the date from that morning And three words written in big block letters call Tom Wright. He didn't, but the Holy Spirit might have. And it's not the most profound and earth-shaking thing you've ever heard. But it was this way in which the two men were invited by the Holy Spirit into some connection. And why N.T. Wright was led to share this story and reflecting on our passage this evening was because what ended up bringing them together, the reason why this scholar wanted to call Tom Wright was because he was going to invite him to do another lectureship series on the book of Isaiah in the very chapter that you see on your handout. In which centuries before, two men received an invitation and urging from the Holy Spirit of God to connect when they had no business connecting at some time and some place, not because of coincidence, but because the Holy Spirit is orchestrating connections the world over. And he's leading us into transformational encounters with Jesus. All because of the invitation of the Holy Spirit. So you'll see tonight's focus statement is simply this. The Holy Spirit invites us to invite others into the family of God. Can y'all say invites us to invite others with me? Let's try it. Invites us to invite others. And I'm not just telling you this as a ploy to bring your friends to church. That is some part of our strategy of mission because they get to come here and hear about Jesus, Lord willing. They get to see people encountering in prayer and worship Jesus. But more than that, we want to invite people to see for themselves this Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing, inviting us to invite others into the family of God. So going back to that story with Tom Wright, the story we're about to see with Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Have you had a moment in the last six months, however big or small, where you have some kind of impulse or invitation or nudge on your heart to go and do this or say that or meet this person or text that person? Show of hands in the last six months. It's incredible. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit, who did the incredible things we read about in the book of Acts, is still inviting us to make a difference in our neighborhoods and worlds and make connections with other people, however big or small, because He's always at work if we were to stay awake and tune in to those nudges and then respond appropriately. That's where we're headed. Hope you'll join us. Look with me in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 26. I'm going to read down to verse 40. You can stay seated and follow along on your handout. This is Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he's headed a pretty good ways southwest. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, or maybe your Bible says Candace, which is a dynasty name for queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. That's that impulse, right? That nudge, that invitation. Verse 30. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about who? Jesus. Isaiah to Jesus. Fancy that. Verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? So you might find verse 37 in brackets there. If you're following along in a handheld Bible, it might have a footnote that has some uh, italicized addition. That's some kind of confession that most everybody thinks was added later. It's not in the most earliest and uh, the most... Um, uh, earliest manuscripts there. So verse 38, And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. You may be introduced to Philip and the eunuch, but make no mistake, this is a Holy Spirit orchestrated encounter. If there is a star that gets top billing on the movie poster of Philip and the eunuch, it's the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is, and you'll see this on the screen, at the very beginning of Acts, Luke, who wrote it, gives us this nice literary record of what Jesus said to the apostles after he said, hey, wait for a while in Jerusalem, but then you will what? Receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. Say it, look, in Jerusalem, and watch this, and in all Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And what follows, if you're reading the next 28 chapters of Acts, is this gradual outworking of the gospel that began powerfully in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit descends on all these people from all these different places, but they were all Jewish And they begin to speak in tongues and manifest the powerful outworking of this risen Savior, Jesus, who they crucified, who is still at work in this community, in this powerful way that the community could not ignore. And then you see it's spreading to the region in Judea. And then what happens in Acts chapter 7 is a guy named Stephen becomes the first martyr. Y'all know what martyr is? I'm not just talking about your friend that always has the worst day of his or her life. I'm talking about somebody that dies for their faith. Stephen is the first Christian martyr. Take that for your pub trivia night. And then what happens at the beginning of chapter eight, just before we get to this story, is because of that persecution, the Holy Spirit doesn't waste it, what happens is it scatters the Christian because they don't want to be the second martyr. So then... All of these Christians who were hanging out in Judea now all of a sudden find themselves in places like Samaria. This week I had lunch with Cameron Sinclair and his brother Kevin Sinclair. Cameron and Amy are down because Amy Sinclair is graduating with her master's from Lamar University in Beaumont. Holla shout out. Give her a heads up and high five. There you go. Here, listen, Amy. Well, now we'll see if she listens to the podcast or not. And his brother Kevin is a minister in East Dallas and he says, when we were talking about this very passage, he says, you know what's so cool is that Judea and Samaria represent for the Jews, Judea, the holiest place place that they could think of, the holiest region, and then Samaria was the most unholy, like backwards, those second cousins we don't want to see at the family reunion. They hated Samaria. And what's powerful is because of the persecution, it gets these people out of their holy bubble, hello, and gets them into Samaria. And at the very beginning of Acts chapter 8, guess who's there to convert the first Samaritan? A guy named Philip. So Philip is already wrecking shop before we see him in our passage tonight. Philip was not a pastor. Philip was a deacon turned evangelist. And he did some powerful, wild stuff. Because deacons can still proclaim the good news of Jesus. Amen, Robert Vaughn. Amen, Toby Brooks. Amen, everybody else. I'm not going to name right now Steve Arend and the like. Philip, we meet Philip, but make no mistake, this is a Holy Spirit orchestrated encounter. That's the story of Acts, the outworking of all these places. And look, especially the places that no good Jew would have ever gone were it not for the outworking of the Holy Spirit, causing him to go to people and break down barriers they never thought possible. So that sets up what's about to happen But know this, because the Holy Spirit is the star, Philip joins the work that God has already started. Our responsibility then as Philips is to pay attention and participate. One of the ministry mantras that so blessed me from our Ecclesia friends, J.R. Briggs and Bob Hyatt, is they say, the work of the church, hear me, is to pay attention to what God is up to and respond appropriately that's the number one job description for your leaders of any church what is God up to in our context in our neighborhood with our people with our gifts with our resources and respond appropriately and it's not just for a church it's for you as an individual do you believe that even you in Texas 2018 can have that kind of dynamic and personal and powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit. At the beginning of our passage, Philip hears from an angel of the Lord, some messenger, some word, but then later the Spirit tells him, and not just in general, oh, you're going to make it through this hard time, but legit, go down this road. Can you let yourself believe the Holy Spirit might tell you to go down Garland Avenue once in a while? Can you believe that the Holy Spirit might actually tell you something as specific as talk to Susan at work today? Because when you pay attention, when you tune in, you have no idea what might happen when you just take a step like Philip did down the road, even though it doesn't make sense. You think it made sense to Philip to go down the road on a desert road? Don't miss that and wait for further instructions. You know what that also tells me? That after Philip took the first step, the Holy Spirit sees Philip doing this, and then expects him and hopes that he would pay attention for the next step. Are you with me? Because sometimes you are offered to go talk to Susan at work, but then you see her in the break room, and you start to do what I did, and said, oh, um, I'm just going to get some coffee and go over here. But what happens... When we're tuned in, when we're present, when we try to still and silence our own voice in order that the still small voice of the Spirit might speak up and say, Would you just say, How are you? And we have no idea what kind of outworking can happen in that place unless we pay attention and participate. And it may be no more than another drop in the barrel of someone who takes an interest and sows a seed for something that might happen six months or six years down the line. Do you know that there are people in this church who are here and in Christ because someone prayed for them for years? And every time they prayed and every time they felt the nudge to pray or to speak or to send a text, they didn't see these powerful results. But they were faithful and it was the kingdom movement and momentum and the seeds and the drops in the bucket that can make lasting impacts would we be faithful to pay attention and participate. All I'm asking you to do, church, is tune in and participate. I'll never forget a conversation I had while I was in seminary with a guy who told me that this kind of relationship of which I speak is the craziest thing he's ever heard in his life. And he told me, because we have the Bible, we have 66 books of the Bible, and this is the word of God, which I say yes and amen, but I also said the inerrant word, the word, the final word is a person, his name is Jesus, the word of God become flesh. This points us to that word, and we thank God for it. But he was telling me these kinds of nudges and the dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit that is on the move, connecting people, difference and et cetera, is a bunch of baloney. And I felt deeply saddened for him because there is so much more the Holy Spirit wants to tell you through this and beyond this. Amy Sinclair, I'm holding up the Bible as you listen to this podcast. <laughs> the dynamic relationship that we have with the Spirit is not some wild thing. It's modeled in the person of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God, his Godness, to be exploited and used to where he could hover around the ground and show us this impossible life. I want you to understand this, and I know some of you grew up thinking that you could never be like Jesus because your primary mode of thinking about Jesus is only that he was without sin. Let me tell you, I believe that Jesus was without sin, but let me tell you, I believe that Jesus was without all the kinds of big picture, omni, omni this, omni that, all knowing this. I believe he set it aside so he could fully be human, to be fully filled by the Spirit, to show us that we can actually live like Jesus in our everyday life. I think the most backward thing that we get is to substitute the word of God, Jesus, and a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit that this book points to. We substitute that to say it's just about this, learn some facts and figures, but really it's not worth living, it's impossible to live, we're just maggots and sinners, and that's BS. It's just BS. We are made in the image of God. God's Spirit indwells us. The same things that Jesus did, Jesus told his own followers, You're going to do greater things. Now, I'm not going to raise from the dead and save the world and reconcile humanity to God, but the kinds of day to day interactions the Holy Spirit was working in and through Jesus, I believe, is available to us to the degree that we sell out to the Holy Spirit. Read the rest of the New Testament. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he says, I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All this stuff is obvious, violence, anger, slander, blah, blah, blah. But he says, but if you walk in the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all words that describe Jesus, all words that can describe you, were you to sell out, pay attention, and participate in the work of the Spirit. But we have all these distractions. We have all these voices clamoring for our attention to sit down, to hush, to not think about it. These nudges are just whimsy. No, the spirit of God wants to move and act in you because he wants to move and act in our neighborhood. And he's gonna do it through you to the degree that we participate. I love Jesus and Philip showing us that the life of Jesus is actually livable. And can I pick on somebody who's here? Because I guess that's what we do, is I'm just going to call you out, Amy Sinclair. But I think it starts in your morning with some kind of touch point to say, Holy Spirit, I'm here. And I can't think of anything else in this moment except for Miguel Mamie, who told me a couple weeks ago that he goes to his work, his school, every day. I'm sorry, bro. He goes to his work, his school, every day, and he knows the faces of the students he's gonna see, and he prays, Lord, can I just be yours and be a light today in these students' lives? That's how it starts, because it punches up your GPS before you ever get going down the road, but it puts you into the trajectory to pay attention and to pay attention and participate. Sorry, but thank you. This is the rule of thumb. Don't ever talk to me about something because I got another story from another church member I'm gonna share later. Brace yourself and guess who it is. Place your bets. We're about to meet our second player, not just Philip, but now the eunuch, in this Holy Spirit outworking. And I love this person. Because do you know who the first non-Jewish convert is in the book of Acts? An African black eunuch. Rich, exotic in their mind, the last person they may have thought. Acts chapter 10, we see the Gentile. So we see the ends of the earth working out. They say that Cornelius is the first Gentile. The reason they don't call this eunuch a Gentile, which is the Jewish word for all the other people, all nations, which is kind of hilarious. The reason they don't call the eunuch a Gentile is because he was a seeker. He he, He was just coming back from where? Where was he coming back from? The Holiday Inn? Waffle House? Where? He was on a chariot. Aaron wants to say it. Jerusalem? Where in Jerusalem? To worship? Where do you worship in Jerusalem? The temple. This dude traveled, listen to me, five months to go to the temple. Because he was rich, because he was in a high position in this dynasty head of the treasury, secretary of the treasury of this enormous ancient empire, of the Ethiopian empire, modern day Chad, more likely. He had a scroll. You couldn't just download an app. You couldn't go to Mardell and buy a Bible. Y'all know scrolls were expensive. People didn't have them. That's why they went to synagogue to hear it read. Synagogues were the little outposts. They weren't the temple. They were the little outlying satellite campuses. you with me? And they read from the scroll. Homeboy had his own scroll on a chariot. He was rich. Which leads me to this question. Before we get into this encounter, in what ways were Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch different? At least these. Socioeconomic status. I just talked about that. Secondly, race. We don't know, but we're going to assume that he's black. Because when, in the first century, Ethiopian was also kind of just a catch-all word for an exotic black person. That's just what they said ethnically. He's from another continent. He's from Ethiopia. Sexuality. He was a eunuch. Have y'all heard that word eunuch? It was super common then because what happened was most, but not all, of these kinds of high-ranking officials were castrated. And I know there are kids in here, so I'm just going to leave it at castrated, okay? It was an insurance policy. We see this throughout the ancient times. Why? Because they would take care of some of the royal women. I'm also going to just leave it at that. And so it was an insurance policy because you didn't want to sample the goods. I'm just going to leave it at that. Amy has given me the this number. I'm sorry, we have to talk about the eunuch. He's a, he features prominently in this passage. So for sexuality, he is asexual. Jesus talks about eunuchs, so Adam can too. Look at Matthew 19, that's all. (laughs) And here's what's interesting, and I just talked about this. Religion, he is not Jewish yet. He's not fully converted. And so I need you to understand this. When he made a five-month journey to the temple, it's like he drove all the way to Disney World And the gates were closed. Because eunuchs could not enter the temple. In Deuteronomy 23.1, you don't have to go there yet, Maria. In Deuteronomy 23.1, it says that anybody who has been crushed or defiled or is a eunuch, they are not allowed to enter the temple of worship. So he took his whole entourage in the chariot, and he went all the way to Jerusalem for five months... Because something had drawn him about Israel's God. Something about the Jewish people had drawn him. And yet he gets there. And at best he would have been in the outer court. The court of the Gentiles. Do y'all remember that word Gentiles? What it means? Everybody else. The eunuch was in everybody else. The eunuch was literally an outsider. And he makes this five month journey. He's about to go five months back. Ten months, an almost year of his life, to lean in. And the best he gets is the gate, the outer court. So perhaps he picked up a scroll. Because, I mean, you got to get a souvenir at least. I don't know. We don't know. I'm guessing. But he either brought it or got it, and he's reading it on the way back. And this is powerful. I'm thinking about where I want to go. Let me hold that, hold that thought. We're going to come back to the scroll. These are the ways that Philip and the eunuch are different. Let me ask another question. In what ways did their differences matter to God when it comes to who is in and who is out? Zero. In no way did the law that God Inspired Moses to write centuries before for some reason it didn't matter when the Holy Spirit came to break down a barrier to invite him into the family of God and this is why the Jesus movement was so distinct in Acts in the first couple hundred years before they made it an empire and you add 2,000 years and you get whatever it is now But God is still in it and still moving and there's this peace that's still central and that is this. The Jesus movement was so distinct from all the other tribal religions that were gathered around ethnicity and language. You still see it today in some of the major religions. Hello? They're they're ethnic. There's language. There are all these obstacles for which you've got to enter. Our Muslim brothers and sisters are wonderful people who love people and do loads of good. Their system, their religion, their word cannot be translated word for word into English. There's a language barrier. It's ethnocentric. Not in the ugly ways, I just mean it's still rooted in the nation state and the tribe. One of the ways in which the Jesus movement is different is because you can go to any continent and country and see people in their own language with the same Holy Spirit. Because the Jesus movement has all types, from all places, from all races, from all bank accounts, at one table and one in Jesus. And so for the neighborhood church, what does it look like for us to be in the neighborhood, to be open for the neighborhood, and then by God's grace and your help and the Spirit's movement to one day reflect the neighborhood? Why? Not because it's just the flavor of the month and it's something that I've kind of talked about since last summer and we've kind of thought about. Here's why. Because it's a kingdom witness. It's a kingdom alternative to the divided and fractured world that says you go over here and you go over there and I'm going to be over here and I'm going to go over there. Except you don't go to work that way, you don't go to school that way, but we worship that way. There are cultural differences. There are language differences. I'm asking you, church, to go with me on praying about how the Spirit might break down those barriers. Hello? I don't know. Shoot, we brought Jim Payson to interview 42 of you to help us get unstuck. We have some ideas, but would you help me? Because you know what we need better than ideas is prayer. We need a people praying. Because what you see in Acts 4 and 3 and all these other places is while they waited, they prayed. the Spirit to come? Will you pray with me? Will we pray together? Will we look at ways this summer as we're looking at taking a sabbatical from our normal neighborhood group gatherings? Could you help me look and think of ways in which we can pray together earnestly as we wait to see what's next? I love the second invitation. The first invitation was the angel of the Lord to say, take the first step. The second one is, okay, now that you're here, you see that chariot, go and get close to it. Here's some observations about Philip's evangelism. We've already talked about this. He was tuned into the Spirit's invitations. He was on that frequency. We've already talked about this. He what? Crossed cultural barriers. And then I wanna kinda take this next one out of order. Will you go to the next slide? Here's what Philip did. The first one to initiate conversation was Philip. Do you all know what he did? Look. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Have you ever stolen? Then you're a sinner. Those who have ears to hear, hear. What did he do? What did he do? He asked him a question. Thank you, John. He asked him a question. Because you know what questions do? Invite the other person to share a little bit about them. I think as we look forward to reflecting the neighborhood, I think it's going to start with asking questions instead of making assumptions. Hello? Asking questions about making assumptions about what our neighbors need or want or like. But this is hard. It's hard he asks a question, he opens up a dialogue, he started with a question, and then that last point that I just skipped over is that he was then sensitive to the seeker's questions because then the eunuch goes and retorts back to him, well, how can I understand unless somebody shows it to me? So now all of a sudden, what do they have? A dialogue. It's not a one-sided status update, boom, shakalaka, done. It's an actual dialogue. It's on the messenger app, and you're going back and forth. This is what it looks like. They started a dialogue. I'm just making these observations. And then I love this. He was spiritually curious. That's a phrase that came to us when we were at the Ecclesia gathering, to be spiritually curious. What do you think I mean by that? That's that kind of like, rather than making assumptions, what what is the touch points in those people that you know and love? What, what is the needs there? We kind of talked about this last week. I love this story from Robin Craddock and she gave me permission to tell it and to use her name but it's about her and a coworker, and a space in which she was spiritually curious she asked questions she was sensitive to the Holy Spirit and others and they opened up a dialogue and I think that if Philip was the ancient, beautiful example there, Robin gives a modern, beautiful example here. And so Robin tells me a story a couple weeks ago. Do you see sense a theme now? Don't tell me any stories a couple weeks ago, because it's going to come out. No, please do, because I love to hear these and celebrate these, because it's Jesus in everyday life. Robin told me a story about her coworker that's Hindu, but she doesn't really speak much about her beliefs. So Robin, by virtue of working at Austin Street in a homeless shelter that is faith-oriented, she's talking a lot about Jesus and her beliefs. She's very open and verbal. And so she often tells her Hindu co-worker, I prayed for you this morning. And what's beautiful is the Hindu co-worker says, I've been praying for you. So you see, when you pray for someone, you love that person. There's this existing relationship. There's this existing dialogue in prayer. And so then what happens is, they go and have a one-on-one meeting in her office, and Robin sees on her desk an image that she hadn't seen before, and it was of a Hindu god. I don't know much about Hinduism, but I know that there are a lot of gods. And so she had had this one god show up on her desk this one week. And so you know what Robin did? She went home because she was spiritually curious about this person she loved. She went home and she googled some images of Hindu gods, not because she wanted to convert, but because she cared about her friend. And so she found this god and she discovered that this God represents or works in the removal of obstacles. Which then, Robin said, it made me think, oh yeah, a week ago she told me there was some big obstacle that she was facing at work. Are you hearing this? She's creating and making these touch points based out of real dialogue in real relationship. And this kind of reminds me of, like last week when we said, "Hey, that reminds me of something Jesus said or did, because Jesus, His words and works and person can meet every need our world is after. But for her Hindu coworker, it was for this God to remove obstacles. So the next few days, they go and have another one-on-one meeting to talk about work and business. And during their next meeting, what does Robin do? She asks a question hey, is this the God that removes obstacles? And her eyes got very big, and she smiles, and she said yes, and she could not believe that Robin had read up on this. And then Robin said, I was able to tell her that because she matters to me, I wanted to understand better what she believes. She didn't want to make assumptions. Then Robin, at that point, this was just before Easter, had been asked to preach the Palm Sunday service. And so this Hindu coworker was asking her, hey, are you excited to do this? What are you talking about? And then Robin said, hey, you remember this old blanket that I have in my office? This blanket was donated to Austin Street and the story of this blanket with a note attached was that it's 75 years old, but it can still keep somebody warm. This came through Austin Street and Robin came across her desk, she kept it, and she was going to make a point at Austin Street on Palm Sunday that Jesus disappointed a lot of people because he rode into town not on a big white horse in power, but on a donkey in humility teaching love. And here's the point. Even though he disappointed people, he didn't disappoint his father because he was doing what he was sent to do and the message that she was trying to relay was you're not a disappointment to the father and even though to the world you might look like this tattered old 75-year-old blanket with stains and worn and it's no good she's telling you that you may disappoint others you will not disappoint the father so she's going and giving her this preview of this sermon that I wish I had preached on Palm Sunday <laughs> her coworker had tears in her eyes and she said they are going to love this because this touched me so deeply. And then she asked Robin a question herself. What does Palm Sunday even mean? And then Robin does what Philip does. And starting with the scriptures, began to teach and tell about God's work in the world. And then he does what Philip does. He points to Jesus. Jesus. So Robin goes on and on and talks about that after Palm Sunday, Jesus went to these friends that he loved and entrusted his love and message to them, and he was betrayed, he suffered, he crucified, he did all these things that the eunuch is reading about in Isaiah chapter 53 when Philip meets him. And he points to Jesus. And then Robin says from that point on, about a month or and a half later, Almost daily, she says, I share with her how I'm praying for her and how she does the same. And she shared with me that at some point when she first came to Austin Street, she felt pretty ostracized because she was not a Christian. She at least now knows that someone cared enough about her to ask and listen. And it's made her willing to do the same. See, with Philip and the eunuch, it was this back and forth, this dialogue, this give and take. And I feel like too much of the Christianity that we see in America wants to dominate the conversation instead of enter into a conversation. Are you with me? How can we be different in our communities? How can we be different with our co-workers, just like Robin? So for her birthday, Robin closes and says, she made her this encouragement jar with quotes and even a few scripture verses. And now she sees that jar on her desk next to that picture of the God who removes obstacles. Can I tell you about the real God who removes obstacles? The Holy Spirit who invited Philip to invite the eunuch to come alongside the chariot while a eunuch was reading the scroll of Isaiah. Now he knew the words of Deuteronomy 23, one that I referenced earlier. Deuteronomy 23, 1 says that no one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting, which would be a eunuch, may enter the assembly of the Lord. He was not able to be with God's people. And so he's on his way home, this five-month journey. He's got the scroll open in his lap. And he's reading out loud because that's how you read then to help aid with memory because you can't just whip out the scroll like you do your phone and just reference it when you're talking to your buddies. So he's reading this, and you know what comes before Isaiah chapter 53, which was the verse that's referenced here in Acts chapter 8? Isaiah chapter 52. This is what Isaiah chapter 52.1 begins with. He's speaking a word of common condemnation because Zion, the holy name for Jerusalem, is going to get wiped out in Isaiah's day. So he's saying, "Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourself with strength, put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again." This begins this vision of someday Zion will be restored, and guess what? All these uncircumcised and defiled people will stay on the outside where they belong. Hello? Then he reads Isaiah chapter 53 in the scroll. They don't have the chapter markings like we did, and he begins to see this shadowy, mysterious figure that we know as the suffering servant. And the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, if you read the whole of it, begins to take on the shame and the ostracization, and the sin, and the injustice, and the sickness, and the rejection. He takes all the imperfection of an imperfect people, and then you keep reading to Isaiah 56. Because something that that servant did opens the door for what Isaiah sees in chapter 56. Look with me on the screen. We're almost done. Don't let the immigrant who has joined with the Lord say, The Lord will exclude me from the people. And don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. I wonder if Philip said, Keep reading. Keep reading. We continue in Isaiah 56. The Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant. Hey, eunuchs, who are leaning in to me, look what he says. In my temple and courts, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Are you hearing this? To the eunuch who just left the temple because the people didn't let him in, God's word says there is a day coming that looks very unlike the day the eunuch just experienced. There is a day coming when the Holy Spirit will bring you into the people. And more than that, I'm going to give you a monument and a name that's better, more intimate than that of sons and daughters. I will give to them, continuing, an enduring name that won't be removed. The immigrants who have joined me, serving me, and loving my name, becoming my servants, which the eunuch will. Everyone who keeps the Sabbaths without making it impure. And those who hold fast to my covenant. Look at this. I will bring them to my holy mountain. And bring them joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burned offerings and sacrifices on my altar. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all nations. Who quoted that in the same place that the eunuch just worshipped on the outside? Who quoted that? Jesus, when he turned over the tables for all the people that put up barriers where God wants to break them down. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all nations, says the Lord God. Who what? Who what? Gathers Israel's outcasts. I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. Surely, Isaiah means the eunuch. Because here's the thing. The eunuch knew what the scripture said, but the eunuch needed somebody to come alongside him and show him what the scripture means. Because you can read all sorts of things in scripture. What is biblical marriage in scripture? I can find you a verse here and a verse there and a verse there, or I could point to the trajectory of God pulling humanity forward and showing you what scripture means. Don't don't tune me out. I'm not... I'm not saying, like, scripture is, scripture is so incredibly valuable and God breathed every word. And it speaks to a culture and a time that you can't just open up and pick and choose and do damage in the community. Our nation is built on people using and abusing and doing violence to the word of God. Make America great again. When was it great? Was it when we uh, had segregated schools and water fountains? When was it great? Oh, before that, when women couldn't vote? Was it before that when we owned people in slavery? Or was it before that when we kicked out the native peoples and sent them and killed them to live as ostracized and outcast people? We do violence to the scriptures every day. He knew what Scripture said. He needed somebody to tell him what it means. And it's the same for us. Would we know this book so well that we can point to Jesus, to the one who breaks down barriers when all his people in his name want to erect them? This is where we are in our church today. So Philip tells him about Jesus, and the eunuch says, well, then what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Because in his head, even though he's sensing this invitation from the Holy Spirit to come, he hears in his head Deuteronomy 23. He hears in his head what he just read in Isaiah 52, and he says, am I in or am I out? That's what the real question is. The eunuch's real talk question is this. If what you're saying about Jesus is true, am I actually in or am I out? You know why he asked that? Because he knew his sexuality was different. He knew that his ethnicity was different. He knew that everything was different and been rejected in every place except his own, probably. But the question that he asks of Philip, God's messenger empowered by the Spirit, is am I in or am I out? And you know what Philip did? Initiated him into the family by baptism. So the question for you, and I'm about to open it up before we close, is what hurt is in the back of your head keeping you from being in? What habit is keeping you from being fully in? What hang-up is keeping you from being fully in? What are our neighbors' hurts and habits and hang-ups that are keeping them outside that we assume they would never change, they would never be transformed, they would never come into this family? What are those things in which the Spirit needs to say, nothing is preventing you, come to me. The work of the Spirit is to break down walls and to bring outsiders in, and might we do the same as the neighborhood church? Talk back to me. What are some things you're wondering? What are some comments you want to make? Something you want to highlight? Some question left unanswered? I know I've preached a while. It's good. John relayed a business principle in which, in the sales world, he says if you're talking more than 20% of the time, you're doing it wrong. He said it a lot better than I did, but I just want for you who missed it to hear it. He's talking about how in our culture today, you can't learn while talking. And he's trying to see in those ways in which in his life, he's, he's got to say, I'm, I'm not great at asking the questions I should be asking. He's talking about the give and take in the relationship. Great, thanks John for sharing. His eyes were open to God, but his eyes were also open to people. How the eunuch invited Philip to come sit alongside him. Whereas we see Philip as the one who had to offer something, but the eunuch is the one that offers him to come alongside him. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just want to get it on the mic. Anybody else a question or a thought? Yeah, Toby? I feel like it is. This is a great challenge for our community in, in the best kind of way. God is giving us these people every month at the clothes closet. We've been in contact with over 120 families, but are we doing what God has entrusted us with. Are we participating in taking a ne- next step? I think this is something we need to think about even next week on this Saturday with the neighborhood clothes closet. I think it's in those spaces of inviting and being um, bold enough and loving enough and sensitive enough to really pray and invest and ask them what's going on. That's, that's the kind of thing. We're going to be picking up these people in, in June and July and August. Like They've said, we'd love to come, we just can't drive. These are next steps. Would we take them together? Thanks, Toby. One more comment or question, Jason? It's good. Jason's highlighting how when the Holy Spirit has this transformational encounter with Jesus, he says, what's preventing me? There's this urgency. There's this joy. There's this follow-through. Let's do this. And he just wanted to highlight that, even with our students. You know, are we holding people back? Or when we see the joy and the evidence, like, th- there, there is nothing standing in your way. For the waters of baptism, to initiate you as a son of daughter, who are we to stand in the way of what God has done and the Holy Spirit has done, which is the issue of Acts chapter 10. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, Mark? The eunuch was reading from the book of Isaiah. Perhaps, yeah, they were in sections. Even if you go back in some of the scholarly work of Isaiah, they actually think that it was compiled over several generations, that there were several writers assembling the Isaiah scrolls. So they say that there's even, perhaps there are theories that there's upwards of three Isaiahs, so to speak. So perhaps the scrolls would be taken in the thematic chunks of it, and these start the suffering servant songs into the new creation stuff that 56 is pointing ahead toward. So, yeah, he would have had probably, almost certainly, that chunk because they were so close. Because he was quoting Isaiah 53, 7. Even if you look in your Bible, that's what, only a handful of paragraphs... Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, Miguel? Yes. I'm so glad he said that because I totally didn't, and that wasn't even in my, like, ending. So let me say that, and then let me allow to close. Miguel brought up the whole ending. Hey, by the way, immediately after he comes up out of the water, it says mystically, the Spirit takes him on down the road, and he starts working his way up the coast, becoming this evangelist. But the Ethiopian goes on his way, what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. So he was transformed, he was in the family, but Miguel makes the point, hey, today I get to open up my phone and have the scriptures, and have this community, I have this. He's going back to Ethiopia where presumably there are no other people in the family. Do you know what history and tradition says of this Ethiopian, especially our Catholic brothers and sisters? They say that this Ethiopian became the first missionary of Africa. And that's not such a big leap, is it? All of a sudden, guess what? The Ethiopian Orthodox Church, hello, meets across the street from us They're one of the most ancient civilizations. Surely they got the gospel early. Why not from him? Or from others that he would have evangelized. And so he goes on his way rejoicing where there is no community. Surely he created one in the name of Jesus. And he says, look, even me got to get in. Why not you too? And I'm sure that the Holy Spirit invited him to invite others, just as the invitation is for us. So the question as we close and we prepare for communion is, what's going to hinder those neighbors, those people, to come into TNC? Think about you. Zoom in. What hinders you now? That word hinders. Stand in our way. Do you know what the last word of the New Testament is in our English Bibles? Oh, excuse me, the last word in Acts is in our Bible? If you have a hard copy, you can flip to the end or look on the screen. The last verse of Acts, chapter 28, verse 31, says this. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and what? Without hindrance. There was no hindrance for the eunuch, and as the story continues on down the line with the neighborhood church, May the gospel of Jesus Christ and the in-breaking, barrier-crushing Spirit of God use you to, just like Paul, bring the good news of Jesus without hindrance. And may we stay awake for the invitation to invite others to see Jesus, our reconciling King, who goes out and we can join Him in our streets. Let's pray and respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this time together as a community to open up into your word. We thank you for the gift that it is to see these accounts, to see the Holy Spirit impressing them upon our hearts and our minds and our lives. But we pray, Lord, that we would not leave it here, that we would go from this place with you, sent to you, to invite others into your family because you are already doing that work. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus, our reconciling King. Amen. Amen. Amen.